Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 92. I think there's room at the table for everybody, and I think that everybody can learn something from every type of farmer. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardich. You're growing more than grass. You're growing a healthier ecosystem to help your cattle thrive in their environment. You're growing your livelihood by increasing your carrying capacity and reducing your operating cost. You're growing stronger communities and a legacy to last generations. The grazing management decisions you make today impact everything from the soil beneath your feet to the community all around you. That's why the Noble Research Institute created their Essentials of Regenerative Grazing course to teach ranchers like you easy-to-follow techniques to quickly assess your forage production and infrastructure capacity in order to begin grazing more efficiently. Together, they can help you grow not only a healthier operation, but a legacy that lasts. Learn more on their website at noble.org slash grazing. It's N-O-B-L-E dot org forward slash grazing. Be sure and listen in the upcoming events for grazing courses coming near you. On today's show, we have Angela Banish of Highview Pastors. On today's show, we talk about her journey into goats, meat goats, and rabbits, and layers, and cattle. She's doing a lot there, and exciting to find out what she's doing. For the overgrazing section, we talk about summer slump bell grazing. I know we've talked a lot about bell grazing, but I don't think we've talked much about summer slump bell grazing. So it's an excellent episode. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. Before we get to Angela, 10 seconds about my farm. And we're going to follow the pattern from last week a little bit about the podcast. If you support the podcast by listening, we thank you. Obviously, you're listening or you wouldn't have heard that. Thank you. Also, you can support this podcast by sharing, sharing our episodes on your social media, telling others about it. We appreciate the word of mouth. Also, we have our merch that you can see at the website. Not too much there, but a little bit. And you can support us through Patreon. And through Patreon, it's a monthly contribution. It's not very much, but it does help us keep the podcast going. And by being a member of the Patreon, there's some added benefits. If you go to the Grazing Grass website and click on support, that's grazinggrass.com, click on support, you can go to our Patreon and see what we have there. Also, I took a segment out of today's episode because we ran a little bit long and we got off on some meat rabbits. And while that is not as grazing grass related as I'd like for it to be, So I took that segment out and I pushed that over to Patreon. Enough of that. Let's talk to Angela. Angela, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here today. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Angela, to get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Sure. 
we've been on our place now for almost four years, three and a half years, and we've been growing the operation. We're fairly small. We have like 40 breeding does, mainly boar goats, some savannas. Oh, yeah. Um, we I just brought a bunch of cattle to the processor, so we're down to 12 head. Um, and then we also raise meat rabbits, and I have a vegetable CSA, um, and laying hens. So just a little bit of everything, but certainly the goats are the centerpiece of the operation. Um, and then we do also sell vegetable seedlings every spring, or, well, early oh, summer. Yes. Um, we sell vegetable seedlings and then also, like, compost and garden amendments that way. Oh, very nice. Now, you said three and a half years they're doing this? Yeah, so we, um, at our old place, we just run an acre and a half. And we, I grew up in dairy and a hog operation. My husband lived in the country. They had some laying hens, horses, that kind of stuff. Um, and then we actually both worked on dairy farms in high school. And then we, after we graduated and we had a baby and we were just like working, you know, 12 to 14 hour days, 12 days in a row with two days off is not okay for being a mom. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so we both went away from the farm you know he he worked there for a little while longer but then we both went to college and you know had kids during college and did that whole thing and um but once our kids got older we felt bad that we couldn't give them that agriculture experience um my parents were still farming initially when my kids were younger so they could go over there and and you know milk cows they weren't really old enough at that point but they could see they could be around it and they would feed cows oh, yeah. and do all that. Um, but the highway went through their farm, so they had to sell their livestock. And um, I just, we always felt like we, you know, someday we'd want to, but by the time we can afford to actually do, you know, move to a place where we could do some farming, just hobby farming, that was always the goal. Um, oh, yeah you know, we, our kids were going to be too old. And so my son actually begged and begged and begged for a rabbit. And that's how we got started. Um, so, so the rabbits were the gateway animal. That was the gateway. Yes. And actually I did not want rabbits. They freaked me out. I thought they were so gross. And, you know, growing up with cattle, I just thought, I was so freaked out by animals with pelleted manure that I, I just was like, that is not okay. <laughs> not normal. It's not normal. I'm used to like cow manure. So right. I, yeah. I was just like, I did not like rabbits. I did not want them. So I finally said, sure, you can get rabbits if we raise them for meat and eat them. And I thought he'd be horrified. And he goes, cool. Okay. <laughs> he was eight years old at the time and we had started homeschooling. So I made him do research and put together a business plan and he actually started selling rabbits um, to restaurants and back oh, when yes. Craigslist was like useful before it was all scammers. He oh, yeah. would like put ads yeah. on Craigslist and um, he actually sold quite a few and we started showing them and not a lot, but county fair when we went to a few local oh, yeah. Arba shows. And, um, and I believe it was then that following fall 
then we got laying hens because uh, we thought, well, I said, well, why not? You know, I mean, now we got now we've got farm animals, you know. Oh, right. So, yeah. Um, And then it must have been in 2016, 15, somewhere around there. I can't quite remember. We got our first goats. I really wanted I had had some health problems and and had really um, done a deep dive into, you know, eating clean and cutting out all processed foods and, you know, found out what some of my issues were. And so we were really trying to clean up our diet and we oh, were yeah. kind of getting some milk from a friend under the table, some raw milk. <laughs> and um, I really wanted, oh, well, at one point they were out of cow's milk and she's like, well, I got a quart of goat milk. And I was like, well... That sounds awful, but I'll try it. <laughs> I thought if nothing else, we'll use it in something, you know, to cook oh, it yes. or whatever. Yeah. And we loved it. It was better. We expected it to taste goaty, and it didn't. And it tasted better oh, than yeah. the cow's milk. We enjoyed it more. Um, so then I started talking about wanting to get goats, and uh, to which my husband was adamantly opposed. <laughs> yeah. Like, very opposed. He he still wanted to have kind of a nice-looking yard, and I was like, let's turn oh. every corner. Let's turn every corner of this place into housing livestock. And he was like, mm, not so much. So um, once we convinced him that we, you know, to get goats, like, then it was just, you know, all downhill from there. And then we started looking oh, for yeah. land, and <laughs> the goats for for many years were just were were really just for meat for us and then I would milk oh, them yeah. after I wean the kids for a little while um and and that was it because we've always had meat goats um instead of dairy goats but which is nice cuz you don't have to milk them if you're gone oh, you yeah. don't have to yeah. come home at 10:30 and milk a goat yet <laughs> cuz right fine if you don't so um but that yeah that's kind of how we started with the rabbits and chickens, and then once we, and then I started doing a very small CSA at our old place, and then it was finally like, let's get out of here. I'm done with this acre and a half. We started looking for land, and uh, this farm run now is 25 acres, but actually is way more than we were initially looking for, um, and and the plan was actually really just to do a CSA and still have livestock just for home consumption you know oh yeah do a steer or two every year and and we love goat meat so we always would have goats to butcher and um, and the rabbits we eat a lot of rabbit meat um and then i was like hoping to build more of a csa and uh we i actually did not want this property and my husband fell in love with it and it was way out of our budget so i was like Fine, let's make an offer. They're not going to take it. Well, they took it. <laughs> and there you are. We, yes. we lowballed them and they took it. So here we are. Well, at least you lowballed them. <laughs> so we stayed within our budget. Oh, well, good. Uh, you know, because we, we offered them what our budget could handle, not expecting to get it. So that completely changed our plan because I was like, well, I can't manage 25 acres with just a market garden. So oh, now yeah. now we're going to have to increase the goat herd and, you know, get some cattle and and really that's how it was born. It was it was 
out, kind of out of necessity to manage the land. Um, and that kind of led me into what do we do with this piece of land that is in such poor condition, extremely poor oh, condition. Yeah. They had, I think the last time they, because it was rented out as farmland. Um, oh, Previous okay. to us purchasing it, the neighbor rented it. And I think they must have harvested uh, corn in the pouring rain because it was just oh, the rutted. Are... Oh, it was, you couldn't drive anything over it. It was just awful. So it was like, how on earth am I going to, you know, manage oh, yeah. all this land? And that's where that kind of what started us with increasing the livestock oh yes yeah so. and at that time were you um, familiar with regenerative practices was that no. something you kind of dove into as you got uh, into it so no like regenerative is not a word that i was in any way familiar with um i i knew that I'm kind of a minimalist, right? So I, I knew I wasn't oh, yeah. going to raise things, quote unquote, conventionally, right? And I already had, the, I grew up in conventional dairy and I, I do not think they're the boogeyman, right? I mean, I, I, right, I right. understand how yes. everything works, but I thought, well, you know, with just a handful, like I want to, I want to raise things differently. I, if I have all this land. I want to utilize it as pasture, right? That only makes sense. Oh, yeah. So we, I mean, we really went back and forth. And like the first thing was just, we don't even know how to fix this land. It is just nothing grows except weeds. And it was just like, how do we even smooth it out and keep it from, like, how do we work it to get it, you know, like fix it? I knew I didn't want to spray the whole thing with Roundup. And I knew oh, I yeah. didn't want a moldboard plow. <laughs> so I started like, reaching out to extension and um i had just found working cows podcast actually and i reached oh, out yes. to clay conry and said like do you have any suggestions and he actually forwarded me to a consultant who was very very nice and did a consultation with me over the phone um and that that conversation Left me with more questions than answers. Oh yes, <laughs> because he just threw so much at me, and I just was not in that like regenerative mindset yet. So I oh yeah, I just had so many things to research. But he said, start YouTubing Gabe Brown, like Jim oh, Garish. Yes. He gave me all these names that I'd never heard of, and it was, it was starting. I think Gabe Brown, he's very easy to listen to and he's very, oh, yes. like, you know, just throws a lot at you, but very understandable. And those, I stayed up watching YouTube videos till like one or two in the morning for like three weeks straight. <laughs> and I fall asleep in the recliner and my husband's like, are you staying down here sleeping with Gabe tonight or are you coming up to bed? I was like... <laughs> It, you just go down this rabbit hole and it, oh, be, yes. it becomes an obsession. Yeah. And like my house is a pigsty because all I did was watch YouTube videos for a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. It gets your mind turning and you can't stop thinking about, well, well, we could do this or we could do that. Or, you know, so it just oh, yeah. really that was my turning point was finding those YouTube videos. And we didn't do everything right. That's for sure. 
<laughs> oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that That is where kind of that regenerative mindset came from. I got zero help from extension or even I had, well, and after I found those Gabe Brown videos, I thought, I'll reach out to NRCS. Well, his suggestion was to uh, probably spray it all with Roundup and disc it to start fresh. And I was like, I feel like I said in my last email that was specifically what I didn't want to do. So thanks, oh, but no thanks. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> So um, the consultant that I had talked to really, I mean, his whole thing was like, it's not going to be good in the beginning thing. It's not going to be good in the beginning, but the best thing you can do is just get livestock on it because they will heal it. You know, try to get roots in oh, the ground, yeah. try to get grass to grow. Your cows will eat weed, like use them. And oh, like, yeah. that's, that's all they ate for the first two years. <laughs> oh, yes. Lots and lots of weeds. But not that picky because they enjoy the weeds. Yeah, and they've trained all their offspring to eat that. So you're just building yes. or reinforcing that cycle to eat and those. I, I definitely see all the calves are far less picky than the, the, oh, yeah. the princesses, as I call them, the, the older ones. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so on your cattle, what kind of cattle did you go with? Because oh, you've listened to the podcast. I'm yeah. always interested in what breed. They're a hodgepodge of whatever oh, yeah. I could get. So my first two steers, we actually bought them uh, as calves at my, at our old house, knowing we would be moving here that summer. So we oh, bought yes. bottled calves. Yeah. My son milked cows on the farm next door, and they do beef on dairy. So those were oh, his yeah. Holstein crosses. And oh, I love they that were cross. Fantastic. I mean, they, they were they actually they grew really really well they had a great rate of gain um i processed them at 18 or 19 months old now since they were bottle calves they were on a grain starter until oh, they yeah. were probably seven or probably eight months old um but after that they were weed weed fed <laughs> Um, oh, yes. And, you know, weeds and hay, that's all they had. Um, they they both hung at like 750 pounds hanging weights. Oh, at, yes. At 19 months. And I was pretty impressed with that for a Holstein Angus cross. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Very limited uh, good grass to eat. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, I've got an old Angus cow that I bought from somebody. I've got two. They're black. Who knows? They got oh, a, little, yeah. a little Maine Anjou in them, maybe some Semitol. There's probably some Angus in them. We don't know. Um, I experimented with, I have one heifer that I retained. Um, she was from one of those mutt cows, um, and she is half um, Red Devon. So she's oh, real, yes. real short and stocky. So these <laughs> cows I have are quite large, so I'm breeding them with much smaller this year i had a bunch of low lines born um oh yeah so i'm trying to decrease that and then i'll save back the heifers that i like um and probably well one one cow for sure i'm selling because um she's a kicker and i'm oh. sick of getting kicked <laughs> yes so, yeah she eats too much hay and she kicks that's a bad combination <laughs> yeah that's two strikes you're out yeah, but I'm really liking how these low lines are looking so far. Um, I mean, they're only 
a couple, you know, I had, I had some born in May or June and then some born in late summer. Um, and so far, they actually are larger than I was expecting, so I don't know oh, how much, yes. oh, how, very good. like how much that low line is going to bring down the size. Um, oh uh, yes, but we'll we'll see. They're in the running for retaining, so. Oh yeah, um, well, very yeah, good. I, I just get whatever I can access. Yeah, that's we did that for many years, and uh, my dad has limousine cross that we we've been breeding to some smaller breeds to bring down yeah. size. Whereas for my herd, I'm working with much smaller cattle, and he's still not quite there. But right. most anything you bring in is going to be that larger frame because everybody right. else is doing it. Because that's what everybody you... has. Yeah. Yeah. Also have to go with personality. I don't have a shoot. I have oh. headlocks. But if I need to. Oh, yeah. It is a lot easier to treat a, you know, treat a friendly cow who is not going to be crazy on you or. You know, if I could, if they're having trouble and they need assistance calving to just do it in the pasture because you can walk up oh. to them and they trust you is so much easier than bringing them up from the back 40 when you're home alone. You know, it just so I I really do, although that sounds very hobby farmer ish, um, I really do value their temperament and I really am going to, you know, be more selective and only keeping back the very friendly ones which sometimes is annoying too because they're almost too friendly and they <laughs> plow you right over you know but oh yes um for me it makes my life easier i'm home alone a lot and if i can just deal with them in the pasture and not have to worry about trying to get them up and walk them across you know multiple pastures it's so much easier for me so i care less about the breed, I'm trying to get the size down, but I care more about their temperament and their personality. I think that's so important. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but there was a few reasons we went away from limousine. And we have really docile limousines compared to right. others that I see because we selected bulls for that for a long time. Right. But probably, I don't know, it's probably 12 years ago now. Time flies. Uh, dad was loading out steers that were eight, 900 pounds and he was doing it while I was at work. And when they get that big, they just got crazy. Yeah. And he loads a trailer and they hit the front of that trailer and turned around and he couldn't get the door closed quick enough. And it knocked him down, but he had a hold of the door. So he pulled out, pulled him out of the way. I don't know how he didn't get hurt. I right. mean, other than a few bruises and his ego. Uh, right. <laughs> nothing stepped on him or anything. And right. and really that coupled with a couple other things, but that was really the, the moment where like, we've got to do something different here. Yeah. And we really focus killing yourself. It, it's not, it's not, no. I can't get hurt. Um, dad doesn't need to be getting hurt. No. And so we started really focusing on yeah. disposition then and coupled with some other things. We looked at some other breeds, but, um, cattle are super calm. We have, not not to pick on limousine because I like limousine, but my, <laughs> grand, my grandpa has limousine and my uncle's helping him. They loaded a couple of calves and we've got corral system, corral system, that it, we've got scales. So they unloaded them here. Right. And he had a steer get out of our corral system, which is built, I think, super nice. Right. In fact, we went back in and added a bar so it doesn't happen again. I'm like, 
why my grandpa's 97 why is he messing with cattle that are crazy right yeah and, and i know when i say that not all limousine are but my grandpa's limousines right. are they were yeah <laughs> yeah it's like whoa yeah and i i worry I probably don't worry enough about it, and maybe I'm not as careful as I should be sometimes. My, I am, however, uh, accident prone. <laughs> so my, hu oh, yes. my husband worries about me a lot. <laughs> so it really bothers him knowing, you know, he was gone one day and I needed to, to breed this one cow. And he's like, you are not breeding her while I'm not here. She is insane. Like, there's no way, oh, yeah. you know, she'll kick you. And she did. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't have the nose leader on her in the first place. <laughs> oh, but, yes. <laughs> but, you know, he, he, he does not like that I, you know, breed cows when he's not around. But it's like, well, I can't necessarily wait till you're home. So, oh, you know, yeah. it, it, Having those docile ones just makes such a big difference, and it gives him peace of mind knowing that. Oh yeah, I'm not laying there somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that ought to be a top um, criteria for most right. people. Yeah. Um. Now with your cattle, you got those. You you had the land that really needed some repair. Yeah. Did it have infrastructure for you, or do you have to go in and do some infrastructure work? Uh. Yeah, it was nothing. We had, uh, we couldn't even like get onto the property because there was this big kind of like tree line with a steep decline or down to the road. Um, so we had to, you know, clear that out, make a driveway. I mean, it was, it was just a field. Our land is, we have like four, three or four ish acres of woods, and the rest was just all open tillable land. Um, oh, so yeah. we, well, and when I say we, my husband and my son and uh, the help of a few family members who were wonderful and sacrificed to help us, built our own house and the barn. Um, my husband is uh, very talented um, in construction, so he did pretty much everything um, himself. And I just, like, when I want something, I draw a picture of it, and he just... Oh, it. that, that so makes I, it really nice. I said, for you. I, yes. "Yeah, I want a barn this size," and he says, "Okay." <laughs> I'm very spoiled. I I bring him notebook uh, pages with pictures on them and say, "I was thinking you could build this for me," and he oh, makes it yes. happen. So he does a really great job. <laughs> well, excellent. So we do have a a barn, and it is not big enough. Really, as we increase, we're going to need more hay storage and more pen space for livestock for in winter so we do have plans to expand but we are not quite sure where we're going yet with the expansion in terms of numbers oh, yes. so we're gonna we're gonna work into that but he needs his shop first so he can have his own place because right now they're constantly moving his stuff because it's in the way of hay or whatever oh. and so we move stuff around a lot it's like the tetris game you know Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. So one thing I don't think we talked about quite yet. Um, where are you located? Uh we're Cascade, Wisconsin. So we're like north of Milwaukee, like forty five minutes. Oh. So So you all have a real winner to work with as opposed to what I have. Well, 
I mean, we should have a real winter, but this is our, I mean, 2019 was a normal winter, and I think, or or 19 into 20 was like a normal winter, and every winter since that, since we've lived here, has been very warm, very foggy, very moist, very little snow, lots of mud. I am not used to that. I mean, the ground is not frozen here yet. That should happen by, you know, the the second week of December. We shouldn't be dealing with mud. We have a little snow on top of mud right now. And it's been very difficult to deal with this because you you kind of plan like, good, as soon as the ground freezes, I'll kick them back out on pasture. They can roam around and they'll, you know, there's a little green grass under there and they'll, um, you know, they'll pick through it. It's not. I would say not nutritionally significant, but they're pooping on the pasture. That's one less thing I have to clean. It's one less, you know, and it's clean out there. It keeps them nice and clean. But right now I can't let them out there. I don't have a big enough land base to, to let them all out. They would just destroy it. It would just be all mud. Maybe you'll get there. Maybe. Now with the, the goats, are you running the goats in the same pastures, paddocks with your cattle, or do you manage them separately? Both. Uh, so the goats, I start them in the pasture because I usually have a kidding group right around that time. And it's just oh, so yeah. much easier if they can access the barn because if I if I need to feed, you know, if it rains, because we haven't had rain since we lived here yet either. Um <laughs> But typically in May, you know, the grass can be a little washy. Um, Then I can feed some hay in the barn for dry matter and they can bring their kids back to the barn or the kids will stay in the barn and they can go out and graze and they just come back and forth. And then the water's right there and it's just super easy for me. Um, Oh, yeah. I start them in the pasture and they, I let them be a little more selective, but they evenly just take the tops off of everything. And then I can run the cattle through there like 10 days later because um, the goats just eat the tops off of everything. And you can't you can't even tell they've been in there after oh, 10 yeah. days. You know, it's back to where it was. And then I run the cattle through. And that's part of my parasite management, too, because now oh, some yeah. of those eggs have hatched out from the goats. And then the cattle go through and hopefully eat some of those. And for homunculus, which is the primary concern for goats. They can't survive in cattle, so the cattle stop the growth cycle. So I actually let the cattle eat it down quite low to try to get those, like, on that first round. Oh, yeah. And then I, in our woods, um, I'm the only person I've ever met who is able to get their goats to stay in one strand of polywire. That is a requirement to live here, one strand. And it's 11 inches off the ground, and I use step-in posts. And I put them everywhere. They eat the lawn. They eat around buildings. They eat in the woods. They eat the fence line. So the goats, once they've gone uh, on a light rotation through the pasture, they then start working on all the other places that the cattle don't have access to. Um, And then this year, our neighbors actually bought their land the same year we did, but they didn't move in until this past winter. So this year... Um, I was doing kind of the edge of their property. He said last year that I could graze like those fence lines because he has mostly wooded. He's oh yes, got I think 
he has five acres tillable and 20 acres wooded. So I, and I actually run the goats through his entire property everywhere except the little chunk that his house sits on. Um, the goats have oh, yeah. gra graze that off and then they get one, his woods is, um, he has paths in his woods. So I at least have a nice clear path to run the poly wire through. So I oh, don't yes. have to use as many stepping posts like on the side of a hill. <laughs> so that is very, very nice because um, I have nice paths that I can drive the four-wheeler through and it's clean and I'm oh, not going yes. through trees and weeds and all that. Um, but there was a tornado that came through here in I think, 2018. The, right after we bought the property, it came through our property and his property, but he had a lot of trees taken out, which really opened oh, up yes. the canopy. So yes. now he has way more brush and stuff growing in his woods than he did even five years ago because the canopy was opened up so much by all of those trees that were taken out by the tornado. So it actually is like offered a lot of forage for the goats in there because oh, it's yeah. so thick. And it's nice for him, too, because if he does want to work on getting some trees out, you know, you got to clear all this brush just to get to them. Well, the goats took care of it. It's unbelievable oh, yeah. how how different that woods looks after you run the goats so i it's really nice that we clear it out for him and he likes how tidy it looks and you know it's it's just so much nicer to work in um oh, and, yeah. it, and it gives us 25 acres more of forage for the goats so oh just yeah that's really one nice. time around in the woods for the goats if you over browse that you you won't have that browse next year so they get one swipe through the woods and that's it. Um, and then they're back to the pasture for like a fall, oh, yeah. a fall round. Now, one thing you mentioned about your single wire and step-in posts. How mm -hmm. close are you putting your stepping posts together? Uh, well, if the ground is flat, which it typically isn't, um, for the goats, I do like 15 paces. So oh, that's okay. probably different for every person. I count yes. while I walk and then step them in, you know, between right. 14 to 16. Um, and I usually kind of pace those out and then I'll go back and where we have little hills or lumps or whatever, then I'll just shove other ones between. And now some oh, of the yeah. places that we have grazed, we're grazing more regularly on our property. We've just put T-posts in, like in the corners. So those kind of stay there and are a little more permanent. And then I just move my poly wire reels around with the step in posts between them. Oh, yeah. So I was, I was anticipating maybe a little bit closer spacing on those. If I'm training or I have real young kids, then I will put them much closer until they have the hang of it. Um, oh, yeah. One, yeah. Once they, once they're all trained, they they don't. I could keep them in with dental floss. I have already run out of poly wire and just used twine. I honestly oh, yes. don't even have the fence on most of the time. They just I just put it on the first because I've had to you know if I've got cattle in this one and <laughs> and a breeding group in this one for goats and bucks over here. Well, I only have you know three energizers that I move around with them with a battery. And because I don't have a electric perimeter fence. Um, oh, yeah. So I have nothing to, like, hook it to. So if I need the 
if I need the energizer somewhere else, I just take it and my my old doughs, they all stay in. They're they're totally oh, fine. Well, I've already good. gone two weeks before without any electric. And as soon as one gets out, you're like, oh, I'll put it back on. You put it on for oh, a yeah, day, turn that's it back all on. they need. <laughs> so. Well, very good. One thing with your goats, I think you have boar goats, correct? Mainly boars. Um, we started with two boars that were... Um, it was a family that did a lot of showing, and these were definitely not the, their cream of the crop, you know. Oh so, yeah. Um, but they they work wonderful for us because we we oh, aren't yeah. necessarily looking for that show type. Um, right. And when we got them, we we the kids don't did show at the county fair like to get the experience and stuff. Um, but I think we were really blessed to start with two does they had great parasite resistance they had really good milk supply good feet and udders um you know we they didn't look so great when we got them but over time they looked better oh yeah um, but i think we were just really lucky to start out with some great maternal does who they raised they always raised triplets on their own and they did such a good job and that became our foundation stock and then we retained oh very them. good yeah. So, you know, great fertility. We 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 were lucky, I think, to start with some of the the right ones. Um and then I do also have some Savannah they're Savannah some of them are Savannah boar crosses, some are Savannah, you know, with like a little bit of Kiko in them. Oh um, yes. I'm hesitant to get more than what I have because they're often they take the color out of your herd pretty quick. So that white is oh, real yeah. dominant. And yes. you can't just take <laughs> a group of white ones to the sale barn because they like to sometimes sell them as dairy goats. So Oh, you, yes. You, yeah, I you know, you can put them in a group with boars, but you don't want to just take a group of savannas unless they and you have to remind them that they're savannas. The lady I bought them from told me about that. She's like Make sure oh, when yeah. you take your scrapey list to them, you know, at the sale barn that you write on there that they're Savannah boar crosses so they don't sell them as dairy kids. Because then they, even though they look the same and they weigh the same, they'll they'll bring less per pound at the sale barn. Uh, and that's interesting about Savannahs and through the sale barns. I hadn't even thought about that. So you want to keep some of that traditional marking of those boar yeah, goats on them. Yeah, because you want them to look yeah. like boars. Group with boars but selling a whole lot of savannas will can sometimes get your price down yeah gotta be careful with that do you like your savannas outside the white hair coat um i i've only had them for about a year i've actually only had one of the savannas kids so far so it, oh, it's okay. hard for me to really judge yet because i've only had them right i i bought them in two groups so but the rest of them are all due um in a month here so oh, i can okay. let you know later so far so yeah. good well i see savannas uh for sale different times i'm just not familiar with them i've had more goats in the past and um, yeah. they didn't work good for my management, so I've got Spanish does now. This the Spanish goats are really good. I had Kikos that worked really well. Um, the boar goats for me, and this is a great point. You you got some foundation does that worked wonderfully for you. Yeah. And I think a lot of times whenever we get started, at least for me, I I decide I wanted some goats. I found some goats, so I went and bought them. And 
in hindsight, I should have done a, some more research because the goats I got in just did not have the maternal instincts they needed to. Oh. I, I probably could have figured that out if I'd done a little bit more research and made sure. I know one farm I bought some, some goats from, they were managed so intensively that I should have. The people were super nice. I liked their goats, but I should have known right off I'm not going to manage them as intensively the as they are. Right. So, yeah. so you got to be aware of that when you're buying your those initial animals and getting started. Right. And I've had a lot of other people tell me that they have had trouble with their boars, that they're that the kids are dumb and like can't figure out how to drink when they're born and that the mothers are terrible. And I've just never experienced that. I well, haven't. I'm glad you I haven't have at all. <laughs> I did have one. Um, it was a retained doe from uh, one of those original two. And she did not, she did not, she was like terrified of them. She was like, scared oh, of her yes. kids when they were born and she was like in the corner shaking and i was like what is going on like why are she had zero maternal instinct right off the bat and i put her in the headlock like six times a day and held her legs in in the air while i so she couldn't go anywhere you know i held right. her back legs up so those poor kids could nurse and then i kept a camera out there so i could keep an eye on them and it took five or six days and she finally took them and she gave oh, yes. them just enough time to drink. She didn't love them, but she didn't hate them either. And against my better judgment, I don't know why, but I bred her again. And she's been fine <laughs> ever since. Now she's seven years oh. old, seven or eight years old. She's huh. loved, she raises triplets every time. She loves all of her kids. So I don't know what got out of whack there the first time, but I was very happy because I was prepared for bottle kids that second time. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah. Now I would never do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. With my original boars, if they kitted without me here, it was a, a wreck. Um, I felt like really? I had to be out there. Yeah. And that's one one reason I started looking elsewhere um, for a different breed. And I right. thought I could probably find boars that would work for me. But everywhere I looked, I didn't see people managing boar goats in my area like I wanted to manage them. Because they're not out there. <laughs> I right. have never, right. I've never met somebody who has managed their boars the way I do now, right? And, and of course, I did things different in the beginning. Um, right. When you only have three or four, of course, they get babied, right? Um, oh, yes. But, yeah. <laughs> the more you get, the more they got to stand on their own four feet you know but there's right. kind of two groups there's the people that have three or four they breed them they don't know what to do with the kids because they really don't have a production system down and then they're just trying to get rid of them or there's the opposite end which is you know the show people and neither of those groups of people manage them anywhere close to how i do and how i want to so it, right yes it is difficult because when you buy them in and I have bought some from Show Foundation because that's my options, right? I'm like, well, I can breed oh, them to, yeah. to my bucks and hopefully get kids that I will be satisfied with, right? And then retain out of those kids. Um, but they fall apart when you bring them home. I mean, they just melt oh, yeah. into a puddle and it takes 
I have found that they come back around. It takes, I think, like nine months to a year for them to, their body to like adjust. Well, they have to lose weight oh, yeah. for one because they all are right. fat. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Yes, yes. They're used to getting a ridiculous amount of grain and a ridiculous amount of protein in their diet. And it ta- and they're, and they're, and their feet are horrible because they're growing so much hoof because they're on heavy oh. grain diets. And then they, you yeah. know, they all have just terrible laminitis. And so it's a process. Like, it's a lot of work. They look, oh, yeah. They look like a million bucks because they're showy. But then you bring them home and, like, it in three months' time, you're like, oh, gosh, they look like a wreck. But eventually, I, I get them back. <laughs> oh yes but it it, uh-huh. it takes a while it's very difficult to um and i also find their offspring anything born here even if they're from those showy does anything born here always does well right and does part of better, that might, yeah. might be my buck genetics but part of it is probably just the way they were raised you know and they're used oh, to yeah. that environment <laughs> yes now now one thing you mentioned earlier you milk some of them after you wean the kids off yeah, like just the ones that aren't going to kick me just for home consumption. Not like, oh, and yeah. I'm just milking them by hand. I take a quart here and there to have, oh, yeah. you know, in our coffee, nothing. And I haven't as much in the last couple of years. When we lived at the old place and I had a nice milking stand and those two first does were really wonderful about letting me milk them. So I milked a lot then and kids were home yet then. So we... We made a lot of like goat milk ice cream and some oh, goat yes. cheese and stuff like that. But life has been too busy for that. But I will occasionally, oh, yeah. I will occasionally milk some here just after the kids are weaned. Especially, I have some that even even at a hundred days, they're producing quite a bit of milk. So sometimes I'll just oh, strip yeah. them out to just like relieve a little pressure if it looks like. They're, oh, they yes. really have too much milk yet, but um, yeah, it's just for home consumption. I, I've, I've threatened on the podcast before. I'd love to get some dairy animals, and um, I've, I've talked to m- my wife about it, and dairy cattle, cow's milk—they're fine yes. with. I mentioned about goats, and they're not sure. They're, my they're daughter, not sold yet. <laughs> wife, they're not sold on that. And I've also mentioned hair, not hair sheep, sorry, dairy sheep. So I got my name down for a cross heifer so that uh, my my hope is that if I do a Jersey Hereford cross, that if I have a day where I don't milk, that that calf can take care of it. And I also... Oh, yeah like the idea of as I increase the goat herd over time, if I would end up with bottle kids, I really need a source of other milk. Now, uh, moving on from the goats and the cattle, are you moving your layers out through your pasture or do you have a chicken coop you're keeping them in? Yeah, so we have them in a chicken trailer. Um, Again, I drew a picture and my husband made it for me. He found oh, a, very good. a cheap old trailer on Craigslist to buy and then um, made, you know, made a traveling coop for them. So we do put them in the pasture and they follow the cattle. Oh, very good. Yeah. So, Do you have enough that you're selling eggs with your CSA or is it just your own consumption with them? Yeah, I sell them out of like a self-serve refrigerator 
Actually, as you said that, I'm like, yes, because I was thinking earlier, I wanted to ask you how that was going, that self-serve selling of them. Yeah, it, it goes well. And I think people like that they don't have to talk to me or, you know, like there's people all over with signs out that say farm fresh eggs. But the reality is like, if you don't know somebody, you're not going to like walk up to their front door and like hi do you have eggs for sale i mean maybe oh, yeah. i don't know but that that's not my personality i wouldn't do that right mine either um so like when i you know put ads on facebook and stuff or not ads but like when i post in a group a local group and just say we have eggs they're in a self-serve fridge uh please contact me the first time you come so i can show you where they are and what to do and then you never have to talk to me again they drive in they go they go in there, they take their eggs, they put their money in a jar, and they leave. I mean, oh yeah, I don't even, the jar's not even nailed down. I, I figure if you need eggs that bad that you're going to steal them, I guess take them. <laughs> because I, <laughs> right, yeah. I just haven't had a problem, and they just write their name, how many they took on a clipboard. So I know, you know, for inventory, like how many I sold, Um, you know, so oh, yeah. figure out my profitability. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so that works pretty good. I do have a couple CSA people who will get eggs, you know, with their vegetables, but mainly it's just out of the self-serve fridge. And then any overflow I have from the garden that doesn't go out, um, in CSA boxes, then I will put those also in that fridge and just people can just grab what they want, write down what they took. And I just have prices oh, on yeah. everything and they can self-serve that way. Oh, very good. Yeah. One more thing before we get to the overgrazing section. With your pullets, <laughs> are you buying day-old chicks and growing them and, yeah. and getting them to lay? Yeah, and then I, I grow extra ones and I raise pullets for other people because if you can scale that, it brings your cost of production down. Or, you know, If you're running oh, yeah. heat lamps anyway, you might as well raise 200 of them if you know, instead of 40 for yourself or whatever. So oh, yeah. um, I do sell pullets. I I do not like poultry at all. So it, <laughs> it, this this year I was not in the mood for raising pullets because I raised them in our greenhouse over winter so that it oh, stays yes. a little warmer. It's unheated, but I have kind of a brooder that I keep covered and keep heat lamps in there and then as they get older oh, yeah. they can come in and out of there as they like and then i grow them over winter so then i'm getting spring pullets instead of fall right. pullets because that's my oh, preference yeah. and then i typically just sell them i stockpile eggs and then like sell them right around the first of the year they're easy to get rid of and then i actually usually don't have chickens january and february because my oh, pullets yeah. should be starting to lay in march but I didn't do them this year. There's too many other things to focus on. So <laughs> I'm much to my chagrin. I'm overwintering chickens this year. Oh, yes. And what breeds do you go with for your layers? I get a variety of pullets to raise for the chicken loving folks. And I get all production reds. You got it. Oh, yeah. I don't like them enough to. I don't care what they look like. They got to pay the bills. So if they. <laughs> If they aren't laying enough right, eggs. Right, exactly. And I get, yeah. I I will keep like a handful of Easter eggers or like a, a leghorn or whatever, just 
So I can put one green egg and one white egg in every dozen, and it gives it a little oh, yeah. variety. But the Easter eggers, I won't overwinter because they don't produce anything in winter. And I do keep light on them, so I I get pretty good production in winter. Oh yeah, because um, I keep their light on a timer, so that that works out pretty well. It really doesn't drop that much. So. Oh yeah, well very good. Yeah. Well, Angela, it is time for us to move to the overgrazing section where we take a little bit deeper dive into some aspect of your farm. And today yeah. we are going to talk about summer slump bell grazing. So when we say that, what are we talking about? Well, the summer slump is, you know, towards the end of summer where you're not getting a lot of rain, you're dry, you've really you know, graze down your pastures and you don't have any grass. Now, it hasn't rained since we've lived here, so our summer slump has been big and long every year. Oh. <laughs> we've, you know, we've been in drought for, for so long. So I basically park, kind of park them in an area that looks, you know, a, a poor portion of the pasture, whether that means there's not much growing there or something I don't like that's growing there that I want oh, to yeah. destroy. And I just polywire them into that area fairly, fairly tight. And then I bale graze in there and they really just stay in there for about 30 days and kind of destroy it. And it's dry, right? I mean, it's they're not right. rutting it up, but they're definitely kind of killing up things that I don't want, you know, and they graze it really, really short. I have found when I bale graze in winter, I, you get all these dead spots in spring. I've tried everything, oh, no yeah. matter, no matter how thin you spread it, if you roll out a round bale or if you put, you know, big square bale sections down, that residue just keeps everything from recovering in spring. So you get thistles or whatever wants you know weeds want to grow there or you just get a burnt right. spot where nothing grows it looks nice around it <laughs> but yes i'm not saying it's wasting it because yes you're adding fertility but it also steam seems like one step forward two steps back <laughs> you know when i when i bale right. graze in in winter um but what i find when i bale graze in august is that gives all of that grass time to recover and it never completely it never completely dies out so i will oh, place, yeah i'll place a round bale or even a, a big bale um like a big square bale in the field they finish it you know and then i move them off of it and then i come with the chicken tractor and i park the chicken tractor right over the top of that um usually like four or five days later because i'm also trying to get a little bit of um like fly control with it hoping that if oh there's yeah fly eggs in there yeah. the chickens will eat them um and the chickens break up any of that residue that's there i mean it's still on the ground but now it's not in a big mat on the ground oh and yeah all the grass continues to grow up through it if if there is any grass there you, you know if it was in a bare spot obviously not um Right. But then in those spots, because I'm already putting those bales in a in a, a cruddy portion of my pasture that I'm trying to restore, I then take uh in September, I take winter wheat and 
grass seed and blend them together and I sprinkle it throughout where that bale was and that residue keeps the ground really moist um, so that everything germinates and then I've oh, got yeah. grass seeds starting to grow and winter wheat and now I'll have that winter wheat there in spring when I bring them through to graze so I'm not wasting out like this burnt out spot with oh, no grass yeah. growing because it got all trampled and you know the hay gets matted and nothing grows there so now I'm not like wasting that and I just get I don't use like winter wheat seed I just get bin run wheat for like six dollars for a 50 pound bag oh yeah <laughs> I'm and yeah. it works it works just fine so I feel like it it seems everything seems to recover so much better when I'm bale grazing in August than versus when I'm doing winter bale grazing. Now it did oh, rain yeah. one one time this year while I was one time in August when it rained, um, and I did leave. It, they were ready to get fed, but I didn't like move the the bale ring to a new place because it was getting muddled up and. It, they were, you know, making the ground muddy, so I didn't want them to destroy yet another place. Oh, but yeah. That um that circle actually caught right up with the rest of them. Oh um, yeah. And I've got winter wheat growing in it, and it looks great. And when you go out in that back pasture where I bale grazed them during the summer slump this year, that whole pasture is just brown. Oh, every, yeah. You can see where I set every single bale. It looks like a million bucks. The grass seed came up wonderful. Yeah. And I'm like so happy with how it looks. And so this is my second year doing that. When I did it last year, I had them in a much smaller area. And that was very bare. We have very, we have no topsoil in some places. We're in the Kettle Moraines, so there's a lot of like glacial deposits. So we like we have like oh, okay. basically a gravel pit in the middle of one of our pastures with like oh. a, an eighth inch of topsoil over it. Oh um, yes. And it was on that hill that I really wanted to get grass growing because nothing. I mean, you would get a little bit of green stuff growing on there in like May and June. And then it was done for the year. And there's oh, a really yeah. odd species of grass that grows on top of that. I have I can't identify it. I don't know what it is, but the grass the cattle love it and they eat it down like, like oh, yes. down to the soil. Um, but I wanted something other than just that weird grass growing there. I did the same thing last year. I didn't have the chickens on it because I couldn't figure out how to get the tractor on there <laughs> without it. <laughs> Rolling away or tipping over, you know, it wasn't a, the best place to put it. But just seeing what a difference their urine and manure and that waste made and just seeing this year how much grass is growing on this really sandy area with no topsoil. I mean, it it looks better than the rest of the pasture. So it was like, oh, oh that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was hoping it was going to work, but I I didn't know, right? But after I saw it for that first year, it really just completely renovated that portion of the pasture. So that is kind of going to be my new way of renovating portions is kind of that, that summer slump bale grazing. And that allows me time, you know, when it's not raining, I, I'm either going to have to feed hay now or I'm going to have to feed hay in, you know, later. 
in fall, early winter. Right. So, you know, I figure why why not just do it so I can recover a little quicker and um, it gives my the rest of my pastures time to catch up um, and grow a little taller so I can get another full graze off the farm instead of kind of, if I ran them back through in August, I'd be done, you know, and they would be eating basically a lot of um, goldenrod at that point, which they don't particularly oh, yeah. care for. <laughs> With the the summer slump bell grazing, mm -hmm. I think it's a wonderful idea. And it's something I don't see anyone do. Like Pete right. on just a few acres on his YouTube channel. I love Pete. He does. You know, during the summer when he gets low on grass, he brings those cows into his lots and he will feed hay. If we're short on grass, we're not helping our situation. We either right. got to destock yeah. or let's pin up, pin them up, sacrifice paddock and feed some hay and let the grass recover out there if we're getting too short because it's dry. Right. And I see so many of my neighbors that maybe they should try it too. I haven't done it, but I love the idea of it. And I think that if I get into a place, like you said, let's take that summertime when it's dry, feed yep. some hay out there. Ground's going to recover a little bit faster than when we're doing it in winter. But yep. we're still going to have to feed the hay. We're just changing the timing of feeding the hay. Right, exactly. And hopefully getting a little more out of the forage that's right. still in the pasture that could be grazed. I mean... Yes. The hope the hope is always that eventually it'll rain. Unfortunately, <laughs> right. It hasn't done that in the last 3 years, but some year while I am bale grazing in August, it will probably rain. Yes. <laughs> Inevitably, yeah. it will have to rain at some point. <laughs> It'll have to, yeah. Yeah. Well, wonderful Angela. Angela, let's transition. I and you know I listen to my podcasts, I edit them, and I'm like, I say transition every time. Let's <laughs> move on to the famous four questions, same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Yeah. Our first question, what is your favorite grazing grass-related book or resource? So I thought about this a really long time, and I have anything, like, super different than anybody else says my my favorite book would be uh dirt to soil by oh, yes. brown um i think besides the sciency part of that that book just like you know when you grow up on a farm and you see struggles the way your parents struggled and like that whole his whole personal story just like resonated with like oh the struggles that you have in farming, right? You know, and I, I, it was a good oh, story yeah. and a good way to explain, you know, why those things led him to make these changes. But I mean, I would say that's my favorite book. I am, I am trying so hard to read. What's the one that they make you read for ranching for profit? I can't. Oh, the turnaround. Uh, the turnaround. Yes. Um, I am an audiobook person. I, fall asleep instantly when I read. <laughs> so I, yes. I, I pick up that book, I read two pages and then I, I get too sleepy to, for my brain to comprehend. And that, that book is intense. So I, I really oh, need yeah. to just start over. That is on my winter goals list is to 
start reading in the morning <laughs> instead of returning oh, yes. emails and doing that's when I do my emails and my invoicing and stuff. And I really want to read, get through that book and start working on working through some of those numbers that they have in there. Um, but in the way of some of my most favorite resources aren't necessarily grass related, um, but very helpful in the way of uh, like for goats, the University of Maryland small ruminant program. Oh, yes. They have an excellent, they haven't done any, they have a YouTube channel and they haven't done any webinars in like seven or eight years, but they have very good webinars, lots of very good series that you can go and listen to. If you search in YouTube, University of Rhode Island Parasites, <laughs> you'll find it. They have an extremely good video. It. They have several small ones, shows you how to do a FAMACHA score, shows you how oh, to yes. run your own fecal samples. That, that's how I learned to do that. Uh, but they have one that for sheep and goats is the best video I've ever seen. It takes everything you thought you knew about parasite control, you know, from management to treatment, and it, it it just kind of incorporates everything and, and pulls all that information together. So especially if there's anybody new out there, like looking for a good resource on Parasite, that is a, a fantastic video that University of Rhode Island has. And I also really like the YouTube channel, Sandy Brock. She's a okay. Ontario sheep farmer. Sheepishly Me is the name of her channel. And she is just a conventional um, production system. It's all confinement. But I think there's room at the table for everybody. And I think that everybody can learn something from every type of farmer, whether it's what you do or don't want to do or how you manage things. Um, you know, there there are things, the way she treats some things on the advice of her veterinarian that my veterinarian thinks is like, hmm, not not the way she would do it. And that's fine. But also, if it's working on her farm in her system, that's great. I learn so much. And it, and it makes me think about things. Well, I do it this oh, way. Yes. You know, it, it just, it it's not necessarily a grass resource or, you know, a grass-related grazing resource. But um, I, I find a lot of value in watching things not just about how I do it, but the way other people do it, because I think you can still learn from everybody in other systems. I think you're exactly right with that. Um, we can learn something from everybody. Yeah. And and whether or not that's what you don't do or actually, you know, a lot of people say, well, the only thing I'm going to learn from someone is how not to do it. I think if you dig deep enough, there's something yeah. there that you'll want to do. I Absolutely. think so. And, and maybe those resources aren't directly related to growing grass, but they are related to the animals that we use to harvest grass. So I right. think those are excellent resources. Um, the Maryland one I'm familiar with, uh, University of Rhode Island, I was not. So I will have to look that up. Yeah. If if you go to their YouTube channel, they, they don't have one that's specific to their small ruminant program. So it's really oh. hard to like navigate. So you just have to find it in the search bar just type oh, like okay. in in youtube just find university of 
Rhode Island parasites, and it should come up as one of the first videos. Oh, wonderful. Excellent yep. resources there. Our second question, what is your favorite tool for the farm? So this also is nothing fantastic, but it's our four-wheeler. Um, just with, with managing the goats on the neighbor's property and lots of hills and terrain and stuff, um, I couldn't do it without it. I mean, our four-wheeler actually broke about a month ago, and my I had goats. I still had my bucks all up um, on my neighbor's property and the four-wheeler broke down on his property and I knew he could see it out his oh. back door. So I, I texted him and said, well, just so you know, the four-wheeler is sitting there because it's oh, broke. No. Like, don't wonder what's going on, you know? Y and he yes. said, oh, I know you need it. Why don't you come up and, and use our ATV? We're not using it. It's just sitting in the shed. It'll be there all winter. So we've, you know, we like I can't imagine hauling water up to the bucks on the neighbor's property oh, yeah. without a four wheeler, right? It's just so much easy. It just makes everything easier. You know, I I do a lot of walking with or without it, so uh, I don't feel lazy using it at all. <laughs> Excellent resource. I I think I mentioned this just a few episodes ago when we or when I was thinking about this podcast and I wanted this. Same four questions to finish mm -hmm. the podcast up. And I just thought it'd be a nice little piece. This was my least favorite question because I just thought, right. I don't know what. And it, it it turns out it's my, I don't know if it's, yeah, it may be my favorite There's... question to ask because the answers, because I don't give much guidance, I don't feel like. It's right. kind of wide open. And yes. it's interesting where people go with that. Yeah, I agree. And when I listen to the answers of a lot of your guests, I think, oh, I love that too. You know, like we, we, <laughs> right? a lot of us have a lot of the same favorites, but how do you choose one? You know, because my runner I... up is either a toss up between the skid loader or my lineman pliers, you know, like I can't right. choose. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's so many favorites. <laughs> the, there is. It's, it's always interesting to get that answer. Yeah. Our third question. What would you tell someone just getting started? So, I don't know if I have any great advice, but I I think for a beginner, you watch a lot of videos, you do a lot of research, and you think, "Oh, I got it. This is the way I should I should do it." Right? Like this is what the gurus are doing. This is what you know, and it might not work, and and that's okay, you know, because finding out oh, what yes. doesn't work helps you improve in the future. So I would just say, you know, bottom line is be open to new things and don't be afraid to try new things within reason. I mean, you're going to take a financial hit when something doesn't work, but oh, you yeah. also won't know if you don't try. You know, a lot of the things that I find works for me is because I found out what absolutely does not work for me. So it, <laughs> yes. it's. It's hit or miss, like with the summer slump bale grazing, you know, last year was the first year I did it. It looked horrible. I actually thought I had made a huge mistake going into fall last year because I had spread seed. Not, I thought none of it was viable. I thought I had wasted it. But then oh, I yeah. see it this spring and I'm like, gorgeous. Oh, so yeah. It, it, it's 
even if you think, oh, gosh, I don't know if I should do this, um, it just try it, you know. And if you do something that works for somebody else and it doesn't work for you, that's that's fine too, you know. It's right, just not yeah. always going to work. And don't be discouraged because things can be discouraging when you feel like you're throwing money away on something and it doesn't work. It is discouraging, but it's the way it is. You'll get there eventually. Yes, excellent advice. And Angela, lastly, where can others find out more about you? So our farm website is highviewpasture.com. And we do have a Facebook page that's Highview Pastures. Somebody bought highviewpastures.com before I could get it, and they oh, no. don't, don't even have a website, so it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're Highview Pastures with an S on Facebook. Well, very good, Angela. Appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today. Yeah, I've enjoyed thank you it. for having me. Thank you for listening. If you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest link. We are looking for guests for this year. So if you're interested, Go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support the show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is through our Patreon. If you'll go over to grazinggrass.com and click on Support, you'll see our links there. And that lists some ways you can support it. But you can click on the Patreon link. And for a small amount a month, you help support this podcast so we're able to put out more episodes. And we appreciate that. Also, there is a second level there. If you're a beginning farmer or just getting started and you're wanting more assistance, there is a start grazing grass level there that you could subscribe to and gain more information. No matter what you choose to do, we appreciate you listening. Keep on grazing grass.